0: Welcome to the Bass and Brews Podcast, your weekly distraction from other high-quality podcasts. And now, your host, Alex from Swamp Rat Fishing, and the co-hostess with the mostest, the Jabberhammer, Paul Roberts.
1: Heyo! Welcome back to another Bass and Brews Podcast. We are your weekly distraction from quality podcast content. And we are here again another week. Today is just me, Alex, announcement coming up. Alex has 10 more days until he's done. I think he's going to be back on the 25th. I hope he is. I hope he's going to be back on the 25th. But I know he's back then. So that that week of whatever, the 24th, that week of the 24th, he might be back for that podcast. I don't know, y'all. But he's going to be back soon. So the Tic Tacs are going to have Tic Tacs again and, and all this other stuff that Alex does, all the good promotion that he puts out and those nice little pictures. We're going to have that again coming up soon. And y'all can interact with him and us on the socials. But tonight we do have an awesome guest on. This Mr. Jimmy Washam. What's up, buddy? How you doing today? What's going on, brother? How are you? Thanks for having me. Oh man! Anytime, I'm I'm glad you're here. I'm I'm glad we're gonna sit down and talk some fishing, and you know it, it's gonna be a good time. It always is, and we're gonna have a good time on this. So so I you know you fish on uh, the the MLF. Uh, uh, see, I'm already. I told you in the back. I was gonna mess the names <laughs> up. The the it's not the tackle where you fish the tackle warehouse, but it's
2: the uh, golly. T- tell them what to the fish because I'm messing up. Yeah, there we go, the uh, Pro Circuit. Former, of course, there's a lot of changes that have literally just developed, so um, some of the viewers will be familiar with them, some of them won't. But it's the former FLW Tour, um, renamed the Major League Fishing Tackle Warehouse Pro Circuit, and as of the end of this regular season for 2022, it is now transforming into something referred to as the Major League Fishing Invitational's, which I... Um, currently, have not committed to yet. Um, mm. You know, with the changes, so so uh, we'll see. We we still got some tournaments left this year, and and uh, you know maybe maybe something will develop, or maybe I'll be fishing invitationals next year.
1: Well, we'll, we'll get in. We'll definitely get into some of that. Yeah. And you are the only person to ever be on this podcast that actually has a belt. Yeah. for fishing.
2: You haven't had has one. You, you, you haven't had like hope hogan or anybody on with a wrestling belt no no nobody with a belt yet not
1: anybody that we knew of and i'm pretty sure all the knuckleheads we've had on previous year i'm pretty sure none of them got a belt either that, that belt there there we go <laughs> there we go yeah well man what, what what has brought you to where you are right now sitting on bass and Bruce podcast what is what does that journey look like
2: oh um, uh a kid that dreamed about fishing professionally and it's, you know, it's going to sound like the, everybody else's story out there, but what's different about me is I went to work, uh, just a blue collar guy that, that worked at bass pro shops out of college. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I became a deputy and all the while I was, was just working that, you know, that everyday job and not Mm -hmm. making much money and getting by and living life and, Hunting and fishing, all that I could. I was steadily trying to um, to do everything I could to chip away at at trying to pursue a professional fishing career. And here I am at thirty five years old. It's uh, just finished my third year of professional fishing, and um, and last year retired from law enforcement. So of course, there's a mm-hmm. there's a big story in between there, but um, you know, it it just it started out with me fishing club tournaments and then I started fishing, uh, BFL events as a co-angler. I did that for a year in 2012. And then I started my, um, I I started my career in law enforcement. And when I did that, I, I, you know, I had to start over on vacation time. So I didn't finish that 2012 Mm -hmm. year. I went back as a co-angler in 2015 and fished the whole division, the whole season. Um, had a decent year. So I kind of said every time I would have success at a level, I was going to move forward. If mm. I didn't, then, you know, I, I would uh, stay where I was at or, or, or regress. But so 2016, I, I moved up to a, the boater side. Well, I didn't have a boat big enough to had a little 17 and a half foot bass tracker with a 60 on it and an <laughs> awesome little fishing boat, but the live well wasn't yeah. big enough to have, me as a boater and, and a co-angler in the back and support the limits of fish. So I got a 20 year old ranger. It was the best thing I could afford. Um, I had an awesome 2016 year as a, as a boater. I won the second BFL that I fished out of that boat, uh, which was a complete, you know, a huge blessing because I was able to pay the boat off. Um, mm-hmm. that, that was really the first stepping stone to, to me moving forward. Um, and then in 2017, I stepped up to what was then the Costa series, which was the, um, I guess, the AAA level, what, what we refer to it as the step above the BFLs. I fished that for three years. I had a good first year, an awful second year. Had that, that old boat I was in, started breaking down. I had all kind of mechanical issues and just uh, failure. Every time I turned around, it was very discouraging. And um, part of me, you know, I guess the, 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 the bad side of me said, you can't afford this. You can't do this. You're not good enough, blah, blah, blah. And I I worked through that and said, no, this is just a a good learning experience and way to build resilience. And, and I moved forward uh, in the next year, I actually bought a boat at a good enough deal. It was a a former pro's boat and I bought it at a good enough deal. I bought a 2016 Ranger. This was in late 2018, like late fall Mm. I got it at a good enough deal where I felt like I could run it for a year and not be crazy upside down in it if I had to sell it. Mm
0: -hmm. So I made
2: that purchase went into my third year of the Costas and that new equipment really boosted my confidence. I had an awesome year uh, and qualified for the FLW tour. So I stepped up to that in 2020. I had a good solid first year of working my tail off as a deputy and you know, fishing, uh, had no family time those two years that I did that, but mm-hmm. the sacrifice I made, you know, and just constant. It's like I never had time to sleep. I was either rigging, tackle, or on the road fishing or working. But uh, we got by in 2020. I had a, a good year. I qualified for the uh, – what I guess they referred to it then as the title. That was the first year that it was changed from the Forest Wood Cup. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Just had a good, consistent year. My, I actually almost won the second pro event I fished that year at Harris chain. Um, I finished second, which was huge for me. It helped me kind of front the rest of the finances for the year. But, um, and that event, we lost a day to weather and the, the guy that won it was a local, uh, Laramie Strickland, awesome angler, in Florida. And he had a day where he caught like 33 pounds. And then he kind of started taping off from that and we lost, we had a day canceled to the weather and I was catching just a good solid bag every day. And well, he ended up beating me. And I, a lot of, a lot of uh, I guess tournament analysts after that said I would have won that event. had it gone four days. So mm-hmm. uh, I was bummed about that, but the the moral to that is it showed me I could hang at that level. That's no, uh, right. So go into uh, last year, 2021, and i I had kind of a crazy start to the season. I lost my title sponsor before the year ever started, just the COVID mm. thing and me being me being naive. I didn't. Uh, I probably didn't handle business the way I should had. So I lose my title sponsor right before the right before I hit the road for the first event. I end up mm. uh, winning winning a Toyota Series, the second event I fished, and I got more sponsorship out of that than I had to begin with. Um, mm-hmm. And then I had to just the snowball effect of momentum and I, I had, uh, an awesome year and I, you know, ended up, uh, qualifying for the title for the second year in a row. And then, uh, and then went up there to lacrosse and won it. And that was life changing. And that got me out of a squad car. And, um, <laughs> for this year, i moved my family to Pickwick, started guide service and now I'm a bass fisherman.
1: Nice. So back up a little bit, you said there was a story in between all of the changes and then to pro fishing. What was that story?
2: Mostly what I just told. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was. I pretty much I. Uh, pretty much, you know, explained it there. But um, there, there. You know, I guess the only the only thing that that I I kind of started in twenty fifteen with that story or twenty twelve, but from from a kid, I've been bass fishing. My dad's had me on the lake. Uh, my nickname, this folks get a kick out of this. My nickname, I was literally the kid at Sardis Lake in North Mississippi that was <laughs> known as Wheeler Men. <clears throat> Wheeler Men. Wheeler Men. Because, you know, I mean, we're, we're talking about three, four years old. And uh, I got that nickname from a, from a guy named Tommy Cleaves. He was friends with my dad. He fished the lake a lot. But Tommy and everybody else on Sardis Lake, Knew when my dad was catching fish because he he loved throwing that old Bagley. Uh, mm. You know, that was back in the day where those Bagley uh, DB3s and, you know, crank crankbaits were a big deal, and mm-hmm. he'd make that long cat. He had some offshore stuff that he'd catch them on. He'd hang one, and I would go rushing up to the front of the boat just yelling, let me wheel him in, let me wheel him in. <laughs> so, uh, my dad could never He could never hide that we were catching fish because I was yelling across the lake. And anyway, I got the nickname— <laughs> I got the nickname wheel of men and and the old guys would see me at the ramp and say, there's little wheel of men. But, uh, so I've been, been bass fishing, you know, ever since, but tournament fishing really wasn't something I'd fished some charity tournaments with my dad when I was in my teens, but it, you know, it really wasn't something that I had a lot of experience with. And I, I started fishing a bass club in my early 20s called river city bass masters out of Memphis. And, just some good old guys that you know there wasn't much money. It was it was probably more uh, talking than it was money and uh, mm-hmm. and but anyway, I hit my power surge with my foot. There we go. Killed. My lamp. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was wondering. I was wondering that. what
1: happened. We have about to have another Jordan Marshall tournament on, or Jordan Marshall podcast where the lights were out in Murrayville one night.
2: Uh oh. so yeah, the, the bass club was really the start of the tournament scene and I fished mm. out of that little bass tracker in that bass club and uh and you know, just did a lot of learning, fished different lakes. You know, I was kinda uh, I just fished Sardis mostly growing up and, and some Mississippi River Oxbow type stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh that bass club got me, you know, to learning lakes with grass in them uh, pickwick, Mm. stuff like that. Um, and just got me traveling around. I learned, you know, the basics of catching bass, you know, in in different scenarios, uh, fishing out of that bass club. And was your dad, so he, fish. sounds like he fished tournaments. Was it all local
1: stuff? Did he ever do BFLs or any regional stuff? I mean, was that, was, what were you, did you come up in the tournament side of bass fishing?
2: I didn't. My dad fished tur- tournaments. They were red man's back back. Uh, oh yeah, oh yeah, in, that, oh, in the, yeah. In the eight, day. Seventies, he fished. He was in the mm. Memphis Bass Club when uh, when Bill Dance was in there. Um, mm. He fished. He fished a lot of the stuff at at Sardis. Sardis used to be a, a one of the best lakes in the country. Um, nobody really knows about it anymore because it got largemouth bass fires, and it's just. It, they fluctuate. The Corps of Engineers fluctuates the water a lot. But anyway, that was kind of the, a big tournament destination in the 70s and 80s. And he fished a lot of stuff um, that, you know, on a local to regional level that would come to North Mississippi mm-hmm. and and uh, he'd fish, you know, Pickwick and some other places. But when I was born, he made when I got old enough to start fishing with him, you know, two years old, he made the decision that he wasn't going to run around every weekend chasing tournaments, uh, mm-hmm. that he wanted to spend time. With. That's, you know, I'm ultra thankful for that because had he been the serious tournament angler that it requires of you, you know, that takes away from family time and that would have taken away from the time that he spent teaching me how to catch bass. Mm-hmm. So, so he was
1: the catalyst for you getting into bass fishing and, and, you know,
2: making it an art form and getting good at it and understanding how to fish. Absolutely. No doubt about it. And, and my, I came from a fishing family. My, my mother, she likes fish too. Um, mm-hmm. And she would take me when, when my dad was working, uh, you know, she'd take me down to the, we had this little uh, park lake that was near the house that I'd go and and catch brim out of. And I, I mm-hmm. called it the little bitty brim lake it had, you know, <laughs> a bunch of brim about that big in it. But uh, my mom would—I mean, she had a bass boat uh, wow. before I was born. She had her own bass boat. She fished what uh, what used to be called bass and gals, you know, a, a hmm. lady tournament series. Um, and she would take me fishing a lot. We we had a family farm in North Mississippi and with a pond on it, and a, you know, just a paddle boat. And she'd take me down there by herself. So it wasn't all my dad, but uh, but you know, it just came from a fishing family. Yeah, and and everybody hear that. He didn't call them
1: bluegill or sunfish, you know, dumbass word like that. He called them a brim. They have brim. <laughs> yep. it's that's a brim. They are the yeah, that's <laughs> what that's the only thing I ever heard of. Them. And I mean, like we had brim and then we had bluegill, which were still brim. But, you know, I mean, yep. they, was, they were always brim. I mean, that's what we call it, were brim. And I, it, it wasn't until I got around when I was a wildland firefighter and got around from folks from the north and the west that they started calling them by their scientific name, but you know, to them, everything was a bluegill. I'm like, that ain't a bluegill. That's a pumpkin seed or that's a, that's a sunfish. I mean, that's a
2: a brim just call them what they are. Brim when, so so, uh, go ahead on that topic, on that topic. I got, I got to ask because uh, I don't, I haven't really spent a lot of time with, with people, you know, from the, uh, from the east side of of the the kind of the, the fishing community. So, mm-hmm. what do you and and most folks in the North Carolina area? Uh, what do y'all refer to? Um, I don't want to give up, give up the word, but crappie. We call them crappie in the south. So, so here,
1: you, most people are going to call them
2: crappie. So, the,
1: it's the crap. a it's a long day. It's the long ass the crappie. That's what we refer yeah. to. And we don't have a weird name like Sokolo or whatever they call them Socolow. down there in the <laughs> Sokola in the in the uh Louisiana area, but it, they're crappy yeah. here to us. Uh the people okay. where I'm at, North Carolina has a lot of influx of people from the north and the California area. So um, you know, you'll hear you'll hear these other weird, dumb terms for fish. That uh, they call them around here, and they ain't right, but they just don't know better, and nobody's taught them right yet. Yeah, they're cra- they're uh, still crappy them. around here.
2: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we, uh, yeah. we if you if you call them a a crappie in the mid south, or if you call them a crappy in the mid south, you know, from my neck of the woods, you're going to get laughed off the lake. But but uh, that's just you know regional differences. <laughs> I
1: know, <laughs> and I would have figured. I would have figured in that neck of the woods they'd still be crappy though. I didn't think we was gonna get into crappie until you got west of the Mississippi. Like that's when really? I think they turned into crappie. I thought y'all were still crappy yeah. anglers. Oh no! Oh no! Look, if you wanna if you wanna learn a whole different dialect, there's a few areas in the country you can come in the southeast, the dirty southeast you're going to hear some names of some fish. And obviously if you go down to Louisiana and those Eastern parts of Texas and in the, the Gulf States, that that's a whole different dialogue of, of names we're going to have right. stuff down there. You know, the French influence, but uh, yeah. that is funny. I figured that the, man, I figured that the Tennessee folks will be down with the crappies. No, no, <laughs> it's crappy. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the only time in my life that I'd probably ever get, boy, where are you from? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you you came in, you, you told the story of, of fishing with your dad, your mom, they got you into fishing, you know, just the, the art of fishing and, and learning how to do it. You said you grew up wanting to be a professional angler. What What was the, you know, and it sounds like you had success early on when you jumped into the BFLs and, and that stuff, you, you had some success that went through it. And you even said on that, you know, I'm going to keep going up and and improve or, and I'm for verbatim is not going to be the way I'm saying this, but you're going to keep improving, or you're just not going to do it anymore. Keep moving,
2: moving forward yeah. as I improve. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's right. And you know, that's, that's hard because bass fishing, you'll hear if it's the loosenedest sport you'll ever do. It's, It's the hardest, you know, from, from one day to the next, you could be, you know, the best angler in the world on Saturday and come in on Sunday and catch two fish or no fish. Did you, did you ever run into that? Was that a mindset thing? What keep, what kept you driving through those tough days earlier in your career? What kept you driving to that? Um, Was it because the amount of money you were putting in and the amount of time you was you were putting in was a little less, and maybe it was a little more fun, and you were still learning? You were driven to go. Like what kept that drive going after the bad days?
2: I hate losing. Uh, Mm. I grew up playing sports. Mm. Uh, I just have a competitive nature, and Mm. you know, tournament fishing. Yes, I love it and there's nothing better on earth, but, um, I don't do it for rest and relaxation. I go, I go fun. Yes. Tournament fishing is too stressful, um, to, to do it, you know, to, to just try to get that out of it. So, um, I do it because I have a competitive nature. I, I there is no better feeling than when you, when things go right in a tournament and things go your way. Um, which is it's it's rare that it happens that way, but there that feeling of of losing, man, I just want to get back in the next one and and make up for it um yeah, now that that twenty eighteen season where i had had boat trouble in three events in a row and I was paying eighteen hundred dollars for an entry fee seventeen eighteen hundred and and i man, I was not making a lot of money um that was that was huge to me at that time. And it'd still be, you know, huge, but, uh, now entry fees, you know, the way that we have to, the, the amount that we have to pay as professionals, it, it doesn't impact you. you. I guess you get used to just living on, on the edge with floating a lot of money out there for entry fees. But then that was, that was huge. And, and I had, I had boat trouble in three events in a row and I got thinking like, man, this is just too expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, if I you know, if I had a brand new boat, it would solve it. You always think that's, as you're anything in life, as you're growing and maturing and you're, you're naive to begin with, you think that, you know, X is the answer. If I could just have X, then, then that would answer all my, all my issues. And then when you end up achieving that, you realize, well, this didn't solve all the issues. But at the time I'm thinking like, man, if I could just afford a new boat, I wouldn't have these issues or um, so on, and so forth. But I, I just, uh, I kept my head up. I didn't, I didn't want to go out that way. And, you know, I had always dreamed of being a professional angler. And thank goodness I'd had enough success with that BFL win uh, that first year, the year before this on the Costa Series, uh, cashing some checks. And, and, you know, there was some, some big-time names. Like I remember the first coast I fished in it was at Dardanelle 2017 in March. And this is day one. You know, I'm I'm nervous as a cat. You know, in a room full of rocking chairs, and, and it's before daylight. And I put my little old uh, twenty year old Ranger, you know, a little eighteen foot boat in, and and I'm around all these brand new, you know, big twenty one footers with two fifties, and it, and I just feel out of place. And I pull up on the bank, and it gets daylight, and I'm between Fred Rumbanis and Tom Reddington, um, you know, both both people that have have won national events and are, are nationally recognized. And, and I'm like, what in the world am I doing here? Uh, you know, I'm, uh, you know, just, just the, the typical jitters and mm-hmm. I go and, and a good check in that event. And uh, um, you know, that, that right there point point one, the first event at the AAA level had I not had that early success, I wouldn't have, uh, I wouldn't have had it kind of, instilled Mm -hmm. in me that hey you can you can do this it's just bass fishing you know but um so anyway that helped a lot that helped me make it through that 2018 year if that had been my first year of trying it man it it wouldn't have worked i'd have said you know i just can't afford this i'm not cut out for it and i guarantee you there's there's no telling how many anglers um have lived that story like i just told but they had the bad year the first year and and it squashed them and and you know and they uh, probably have you know a lot better talent and, and maybe had a better opportunity had they stuck with it than than what I've developed out of it so that's just you know timing was good for me I got confidence early and it helped me uh, make it through all those the the low parts of the roller coaster I guess you could say
1: mm-hmm. what sports did you grow up playing Did you play through high school and college When what sports were they?
2: Baseball was, was primary. So I played football and basketball too. And when I was young, I was like eleven, I had a really bad uh injury playing football and I mm. shattered my femur mm. in, in three places. Um uh, mm. it was you know pretty nasty at for 11? an eleven year old. Yeah, yeah mm. what it was. I, yeah. I had a I had a stress fracture because I'd been, you know, telling my dad that it was hurting me and I'd just, you know, trying to be tough and and uh, nobody would believe, you know, out of an 11-year-old, oh, my leg hurts, that, that I had a stress crack in it. But, it wrote uh, some dirt on it. Go play, I, boy. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, finally, uh, I got tied up. Uh, I was playing linebacker, and I hit a, a running back, come through the hole, and we, we locked up like that, you know. And uh, a lineman tripped, fell backwards, and landed on my left leg oh, right below the hip. And instead of my foot – Sliding up under mm. me, I folded over him, and oh,
1: my no. foot Ugh. hit the back.
2: My foot hit the back of my helmet, uh, and it sounded like you broke a Ugh. telephone pole. And it, uh, I mean, it was it was pretty hor- horrendous. So anyhow, that took. I had to get a you know I had to have a couple surgeries. I spent like three weeks in the Bonner Hospital. Um, God I'm not even... I Ended up having to have a, a metal rod removed a year later. So football kind of ended but I stuck <laughs> with baseball, and I, the sad thing is I was better at football than I was at baseball, um, and so my junior year of high school, I played at, at a, a very strong, you know, school for sports, and uh, it was a, a private school, Christian Brothers High School. They had a great baseball team too, but I, I wanted to play football. So I go to spring training, uh, spring practice, spring tryouts my junior year, make the team and I was going to be playing. I was going to be the safety my senior year, that senior fall. Well, I had to hide it from my mom because she, it crushed her. All the stuff Mm. I went through, you know, in the hospital, which, which Mm. I fully understand it was her cold, hard rule, no more football. Well, Mm. years down the road, here I am. I make the team and I hide it from her and they mail out this letter called uh, a purple and gold newsletter and they, you know, every every student home address is on the mailing list. And on the cover of it, it's the football team. And I'm on there smiling. And my mom gets <laughs> out of the mailbox. She literally drives up to the school, gets me out of my classroom. And we go and sit in the office with the football coach. And she explains to him oh, how I'm not playing football. Talk <laughs> thought about embarrassing. But, uh, baseball, Ola, I, I played. Hold
1: up, hold up, hold up, hold up. You you being able to hide all that from your mama until the mail into what what the hell yeah. were you going to do that's, that's at the first got... game? Like what were you going to do after just... the first game? Oh Jimmy, where are you going? Oh I'm just going to watch the football game with some friends.
2: Yeah <laughs> yeah I guess I was just just living in the moment you know <laughs> young and dumb. <laughs>
1: that is it awesome. That is awesome. She, she was too. So slick. you got she so you, on. you got. <laughs> That school and those noodle. you know what? If it had been an email, she'd have hit delete and would have never seen it. You probably would have Absolutely. finished the season yeah. and got scholarship offers college, and been playing football in
0: college. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you, so your mama said no to football, and you're like, well, I guess I'm going to go play baseball.
2: Yeah, so, so I played uh, uh, college baseball at a junior college in Jackson, nice. Tennessee, Jackson State Community College. And uh, I was I had a good arm, and I was pretty quick, and I, I played center field. And mm-hmm. uh, my, let's say I played my freshman year, and then I went to play in what they called the Kitty League. It was a collegiate wood bat league summer league. Um, you know, for yeah, we, yes, uh, yeah, yeah. We got we got a team here the
1: the Holly Spring Salamanders. That's exactly what okay. it is. Yeah, yeah.
2: I'm familiar with that? We so, got to do the games a good bit. I went to Union City, Tennessee, and and started playing in that summer league, and my shoulder got to hurt me, and uh, it had actually been hurting me during the spring, during you know the the, the college season, and ends up I had uh, a torn labrum in my right shoulder, so I had uh, I immediately went in for surgery, you know, as soon as we determined that, and in July of I guess it had been two thousand six, and. I just did not recover well from it. Um, Mm -hmm. I've always been like a – I've never been a real flexible guy. I've never Mm -hmm. had a lot of great range of motion out of my shoulders anyway. And this right shoulder, you know, I went from having a cannon in the outfield to couldn't throw a baseball through a wet paper sack. Um, (laughs) I got moved to left field for my sophomore year. I was hitting good my sophomore year, but then I ended up breaking my left hand. Um, Damn. I broke – diving diving backhanded for a ball i broke my fourth metacarpal in my hand and i denied red shirt and i played through it and so 'cause because i was hitting good that year and i wanted you mm-hmm. know was, had high hopes, getting a d1 scholarship and i just played the you know i, I should have took a red shirt and got healthy and i didn't and uh ended up uh having some d2 offers and and i had a couple of big d1 schools that that were interested in me and it stuff fell through and it kind of disheartened me and and from there, I said, "Forget it. I'm, I'm going to work." You know, I yeah. uh, probably have done the smart thing, went to D two and furthered my education, and, and went for my bachelor's degree. But I, I left out after two years of junior college and and uh, started punching the clock. There you go. So it's funny, you
1: know, we talk about broken bones in sports. So I played football, basketball, baseball through high school. Played football through college. The only sports I've ever broken a bone in. Have been basketball and baseball.
2: <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> and
1: that, yeah. And I broke, I broke, I was diving bottom of the ninth. It was my junior year, maybe. I think it was my junior year. Yeah. It had to be in my junior year. I was, I was playing, I was hitting the ball really good. Led the team in homers, RBIs, doubles, triples. I was just, I was just dialed in, you know. Anyway, bottom of the ninth, last out. I'm in left field, guy hits a ball, I'm running, I dive for it, and I dive and I hit, You know, my hand hits, and um, the ball was in my glove, but when my hand hit, my hand just went like this. And the ball rolls out, I pick it up and I throw it, and I'm like, oh, shit, something ain't right. And I had, I broke yeah. that bone. Well, the, here we go. First first time running the podcast, I don't know how the camera goes. I broke that bone right there and pretty much ended – Matter of fact, the end of my baseball season, except for the playoffs, and the whole time I couldn't play baseball, I went and ran track. I ran to eight hundred to fourteen hundred and threw the shot put <laughs> and was able to do that. Yeah, but yeah I played played all these sports growing up. The only ones I ever broke a bone in were the, the two least uh contact sports that were out there. Yeah. Going back <laughs> going back to your your competitive side and you, you mentioned fun fishing. And the like have you ever gone into a tournament like, all right, I want to finish fifth, or do you go into every tournament like I'm gonna win this damn tournament?
2: You know uh i've I've honestly never gone into one saying I'm gonna win it. Uh, I say that of course with the championships, the title events you're you're not you're not playing for points um, uh, 50th place gets a check in that one. You know, the last, the last, if you finish last, you get a check. So there's nothing to lose. So those, yeah, I went into them saying, you know, I want to win, but my, my philosophy has always been been to catch as many fish as I can. And mm-hmm. I've, I've tried now. I, I say that I have been conservative before when I like just needed some points to qualify for something. And it's normally bit mm-hmm. me in the tail. Um, and I've also tried to do those those events earlier in my career where I said, well, you know, I think you know I could go catch. This is how I really think I need to be just catching fish and getting bites. But I'm going to go try to get five bites. You know, just falling into the trap of hearing hearing stuff and thinking that that's what you ought to do. You know, but but as I've progressed in my career, the way I enter e- an event, I'm not I'm not setting a goal or a standard. It's I'm going to go catch because it when it really boils down to it, I'm fishing against the bass. I'm not fishing against the the Mm -hmm. guy next to me or all the the rest of the field. I'm fishing against the bass. So I want to try to figure out how I can get the most, you know, I just want to put myself around fish and adapt to it in Mm -hmm. the moment. I catch all I can every day of, of a multi-day event. And when I've, when I've approached it like that, you know, the, the top tens and the wins when it's, when the timing's right and, and, and things work out in your favor, they happen.
1: And I asked that question. I In 2021, I started kayak fishing, and we got a couple of local clubs around here. And um, in 2020, I, I told my wife, "says look, I don't want to do – I grew up fishing, and I'm not going to tell my story because people have heard it a million times, but I grew up fishing. I fished uh, a local bass club here in North Carolina right after I was done with football last couple of years of college, so I moved away. Like I loved to fish to compete when I went out fishing with my friends growing up, I, like I, I wanted to beat them every time and it didn't matter. Yeah. And so I got into kayak fishing because I wanted, I, I needed that com- competition back in my life. And I went out there and, you know, I told myself, I'm probably, I'm not a good enough angler to, to, to just go out and fish and be competitive so I was like, you know, I want to win. And my, my mindset every tournament I go into is to win. Now, that first year was trash. I didn't do good to the end of the year. But, but a lot of that was some learning, fishing off kayak for the first time ever. It was very different and, um, you know, all that. But I still had that mindset. Like when I go into a turn, I'm not walking around hitting my chest. If I'm going to beat you. I'm going to win. But my mindset is, and this kind of goes to what you said, my mindset is if i go out there and catch fish i put myself in a position to win so mm-hmm. it's it's about catching the fish and if as long as you're catching fish you're putting your, yourself in position to win but that was the mindset that i went into it And when you started talking about that competitive edge and fun fishing because i tell folks all the time you know i have guys that want to go fish with me well i don't I tell them, I was like, look, I, I'd love to, but I'm not really a fun person to fish with. Like I'm very competitive when I, I don't have a lot of chances to go out either. You know, I might have once during the week. I really don't have a lot of opportunities to practice. So, you know, when I go out to fish, I'm trying to work on something or whatever it is. So I'm not really fun to fish with, (laughs) but I don't like to fun fish. Even when I take my son and throw him on the back of the kayak and we go out for six or seven hours, Like I'm out there, I'm out there fishing. I'm just not twiddling around. Plus I'm peddling. I'm leg power and I got two horsepower. (laughs) You know, it's a lot of work to get out there. Now he's fun fishing and talking shit behind me all the time. Oh, daddy, you are so lucky you caught that fish. Boy, quit telling me I'm lucky. I meant to catch that fish. But (laughs) you know, the fun fishing side of it, and, and it's different too, because it is your profession. That's, that's what puts food on your table. And so the mentality for that is, is probably a lot of, because you aren't ever fun fishing, but there's probably a time or two y'all head out to the lake and go, you know, go catch some, some bream or some crappy, but uh, you know, probably 99% of your day, your days that you are fishing, it is for your livelihood you know, it's, it's what's putting food on the table. And that is a really, really – because I'm talking about it from fishing, one or two tournaments a month and going out, you know, maybe half a time a week. You know, let's say yeah. two times a month. You're doing it day in and day out. Like, that's a hard mentality to continue to have day in and day out. That's a that's tough. But that's why, that's why the pros of baseball, football, basketball, fishing – Golf. That's why the pros are pros, because they can compartmentalize yeah. that and they
2: can go out there and be hyper focused, hyper focused yeah. on what they're doing. And you know, I I still, even though it is it's work now, I still love it. Uh, right. You know, I I, mm-hmm. I said I said I don't tournament fish for rest and relaxation, but I still love. I mean, I just there's a drive inside of me just to go and and fish and compete. Um, Mm -hmm. And aside from tournament fishing, um, you know, like, like, for example, I haven't, I haven't been on the lake since I got back from the red river. Um, I've just had a lot of stuff going on and and haven't, haven't fished since my last bass open. And man, we've had some pretty days and I'm 20 minutes from Pickwick and it's driving me crazy. I just, (laughs) I want to, I want to be fishing, you know, I, and that'll, I don't think, you know, at least I I sure hope it never leaves me. I don't think it'll ever go. Um, that's mm-hmm. just that's just the way that I was designed is uh I I gotta be on the water. I gotta be in the gotta be in the woods or the water. You know, I, I'm a avid hunter as well. But uh so anyway, it just fun fishing is fun. I'm always working on my my craft and trying to learn, trying to get better. I want to take something away from every opportunity that I have to get on the water, but I just love catching fish. I love taking mm-hmm. my boy. I love taking my head. Uh, you know, I, I've got a guide service on Pickwick that I started back in May and I've really enjoyed that helping uh, teach people that, you know, I've had, I've had people that I hand them a spinning reel and, and they hold it upside down and look at it and say, what do you do with this? <laughs> and then I've mm-hmm. had guys that, uh, you know, have, have, have done well in fishing and, and, and know probably just as much as I do about it. And I've had everybody in between there. So I really Mm -hmm. enjoyed that. But uh, every day on the water, man, it's an opportunity to learn, but I just, there's a, there's a drive inside of me, not to, not just to compete and, and, you know, hold up a trophy or make money at it, but just to catch fish, to figure them out, uh, to learn every day and, and to just, set the hook, and, and feel that head shape. I'm just hooked on it.
1: It sounds a little bit like, too, you know, you mentioned taking your dad and your son out and running the guy business. In the guy business, you have folks from you know, beginners to, let's say, expert. But it sounds like that you really love to see other people catch fish as well.
2: I do, unless I'm in a tournament. Then I want to catch right? them all. And I, <laughs> I don't want anybody to catch them uh, but yeah, I, I I really do enjoy teaching, uh, and that took a little bit of of me getting used to, I guess. Mm. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um You know what? Especially old school. My my dad, hundred percent, was old. Is old school, and man, we used to just you weren't you weren't going to tell somebody what you were catching fish on. That's just the <laughs> the, the, the mentality. That's, That's the, the rule school fishing yeah yeah so uh it took me a little bit of getting beyond that, you know, um but now that I've realized like it's my job to tell people how I'm catching fish because I've got partners that that expect that out of me and and I've you know I have to provide them a mutual benefit so uh but but now that I've kind of like broke the ice and got beyond that the last few years, I absolutely love teaching people how to catch fish, and I've also realized. Like I used to be hush hush about you know how I was catching fish this and that. Now I will tell. Aside from places, you know, I I, mm-hmm. I don't like the guy. That, oh, I got a tournament on Pickwick. I you know send me some waypoints. No, <laughs> you go put in your own work. But I'll, I'll tell people exactly. I mean, I I'll, I'll post yeah. videos. I'll tell people exactly how I'm catching fish um, mm-hmm. and what I'm catching on. And my mentality is that. I, you know, I can, it's not going to be the same way tomorrow because fishing changes from day to day. And I could, you know, I, I expect myself to be better than, than, uh, the, the other anglers on the lake and, you know, I'll go catch them anyway. That's kind of the way I see it, but, uh, and that's not being cocky at all. It's just, I, I have a lot of experience and time on the water, you know, now it's my job. Mm-hmm. So I, I should be good at it. But, uh, yeah, so that, I had to uh,
1: go ahead. Well, I had two questions. You just answered one. And one of them was going to be, there's a, you know, what I don't even know how the hell I was going to ask it now, but I was just going to say, I'm going to reiterate what you said. There's a difference in telling people how to catch fish with a spinnerbait or a worm or a Carolina rig or a drop shot or anything like that. It's a difference in teaching people how to catch fish versus showing people spots. Now, you can give somebody a spot and they might, they might go there every day of the rest of their life and never catch a fish there. And you can go there tomorrow and wear them out. So there's a big difference with that. But, um, the, the, the spot part of it, finding the fish, I don't know if you've ever heard of Buck Perry, but Buck Perry says, you can't catch fish where fish ain't. So finding fish is, is the most important part because, and Edwin Evers said, you can throw the perfect lure in the wrong spot and never catch a fish, and throw, you know, uh, a subpar lure in the. Or, man, I'm messing this all up. Y'all don't listen to me. Anyway, I get what you're saying about that because finding the fish is is really one of the hardest things in fishing. Today. Yes, and
0: that that's,
1: that is that, that is one of the things that when you look at professional anglers, they are so far above your average angler and being able to find fish, winning fish, tournament fish, being able to find those fish is such an art that is so overlooked in the average angler world. It's all about lures and reels and rods and boats and all that. Finding the fish is the art of fishing.
2: Yes, absolutely. It's uh, that, man, there's there's definitely some some guys out there that have way better physical talent than than some of the best pros in the game but mm. it's it's what you have right here and it's it's being able to adapt um and and put yourself around in the right areas and around fish and around feeding fish and then to to move with them and, and adjust with them as the conditions change you know mm-hmm. by the day or by the hour or by um, that right there is the that's the that's the secret to to bass fishing is unlocking that door and then you know from there how well you cast how well mm-hmm. you you set the hook how well you present a lure those things definitely give you an advantage but the biggest advantage you could ever have is to um and i don't think anybody will ever master it but but become efficient at being able to find fish and just learning, learning the ways of a bass and, and uh, you know, and, and how they, how they react to weather changes, um, fishing pressure, uh, knowing, knowing a lot about the forage that they eat, all those things, mm-hmm. just being in tune, in tune with the largemouth bass or small mouth bass, spotted bass and, and knowing how to stay on top of them. That's the secret right there.
1: Yeah, this is the thing you take hunting, all hunting. We can visually see those animals. We, minus the spawn and minus having 45 foot water visibility, which I don't have in North Carolina, you know, 16 inches is a good day. We we cannot see them in their daily lives. Like we can't, we can't, it's, it's hard to pattern them. I mean, I went out fishing yesterday for a couple hours, went out and met up with a buddy. The day before he was catching fish left and right. Matter of fact, he caught fish on a shaky head with no worm on it. Wow. And we go out there yesterday, those fish are not there. No nowhere to be yep. found. And, the, and this is a school of hundreds of fish. Sharon Harris, they school up in the summertime. It's amazing. They're not there. And that's yeah. that's fishing. We can't see those fish. We can't we can't pattern them like you can a deer. Or you can't plant, uh, you know, a corn and sunflower field and go sit there in a couple stalks and shoot dove. It's just it's so it's yeah. so difficult. Fishing is so difficult. That's why I love the technology side of it. Forward facing, the side scan, the improvements in technology that's given us a view into that life of that fish at that moment that we see it, and we can start to understand them better. And you can tell the folks that use forward facing really good; they aren't just seeing fish. And spending two hours on them. The good ones are seeing fish like they ain't ready and they go to the next one. The the technology yeah. side of it is really making us more, and you just said it, more efficient, more efficient anglers. You you're not wasting time on fish. And nowadays you don't have to go set up on a point and fan cast that whole point all the way out and all the way in and all over the place. Now you go there, you can find a fish, and either they're gonna bite or they not, you go to the next one. Um yeah. on, on the guiding and the teaching side has that has that made you a better angler taking and teaching folks
2: I, I don't think it's hurt at all um it's it's helped i think it's helped me with making confident decisions because it's just not it it's it honestly it's kind of stressful when you got somebody that just flat out is not a good fisherman and they're paying you money and they expect to catch fish. You know, they see you holding the bass up on your social media platforms and they, they expect that out of, out of the trip. Um, So you're, I mean, it it forces you to make confident decisions, the best decisions you can to put yourself around fish. Um, And like I, I spend a lot of time, you know, just kind of, if I'm in an area and I've, you know, I've got my client throwing here and this is really where I expect them to, to catch them. I might, you know, I spend time just fishing out in no man's land Mm -hmm. and I've kind of, um, I've, you know, just, just so that for one, I don't want to, if I know there's fish there, that's not, it's not my job to catch them. It's, it's my job to make sure the client catches them. Mm -hmm. But I've also found fish just thrown out into no man's land just because it's, I hate to stand there with my hands on my hips and just watch them. You know, it makes them feel uneasy. Like, boy, this guy's yeah. just staring at me. They <laughs> catch a fish. So I keep a rod in my we hand looking, a lot, And I just keep I, looking over their shoulder yeah. and they're like, can you yeah. do something else? Can you do something else? Instead of staring at That's me? Right. So I keep a rod in my hand, but I'll just, you know, sling a Carolina rig out in open water. And I've, I've learned <laughs> that, uh, that yeah, like I found, I've found some, some, places that were holding groups of fish by doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's just, that's just one little example. It's, it's really opened my eyes to, um, making confident decisions and then making maximizing an area because it's not, you know, if you, uh, if you got somebody that's, that's, you know, in their sixties and they're retired, it's not fun for them to hit 30 places in an hour. Like, all right, Mm -hmm. we, you know, just got up on the back deck and sat in the chair and, and got the rod ready and made one cast. All right, let's go to the next place. So, you, you know, just, it's, it's taught me a lot about making confident decisions, maximizing an area um, and, and just simplifying baits because, you know, I'm not going to have uh, 20 rods on the deck when I got a couple of clients in the boat. So I'm going to have, I'm going to have about three options for each, you know, for each client and they're going to be the best options I can possibly put in their hand to catch the most fish they can. So that's probably helped me a lot too, just kind of simplifying things.
1: Yeah. It's, it's only about, you know, the first two or three times going 65 miles per hour on a bass boat. That's fun. And then after that, you're like, all right, this is cool and all, but I, I'd really like to feel something on the, the end of this line. Right? <laughs> can, that's exactly can we catch right. something? Yeah. So, uh, so. It, That's that's like guiding has that pressure. You're you're fishing for your livelihood, like people are paying you money to come out there and to catch those fish. And you know, there's got to be stress. You said it. There's stress involved getting them on that. Yeah. So there's there's no doubt about it. On your technology in in fishing, how was that? Have you kind of embraced technology early on through your career? to, to do stuff or are you, are you offshore? Are you on the bank? Is, is that something that you try to keep up with or you just kind of play both sides of it? How, how does that work into your, your fishing game?
2: So I absolutely don't ever want to miss out on an advantage that another tournament competitor has. And I don't, so I try to, I try to keep up with the, the most current, uh, stuff that that fits in line with with my partners and and that they offer. Um, when it comes to to electronics, it's Lawrence. And uh, but going back, when when I was learning how to how to bass fish, when I was cutting my teeth on it, especially in my early twenties, when I started going to Pickwick, because I used to look at Pickwick as just too far to drive. You know, we I'd, I'd fish places that were an hour to drive instead of two hours, and I finally realized. Yeah. Why not? Why not drive an extra hour and go to a place that is twice as good mm-hmm. to fish. So when I started fishing it, I had that little bass tracker. I had a $200 2D sonar that showed the old goldfish symbols. It was an old hunter. <laughs> yeah. I had the transducer mounted on the on the transom and it had a uh-huh. swivel mount. And when I went front, I would swivel it around so I could look back oh, over nice. my shoulder and, and read the depth. That's how I learned how to offshore fish. And I'm wow. ultra thankful that I learned that way because it gave me such a foundation, such a a, mm-hmm. a rock solid foundation that I don't have to have the electronics to understand a, a, a bass in 20 or 25 foot of water. Um, mm-hmm. So it just, it's just made me be able to learn and maximize those electronics while I still employ instinct. That's, that's the, mm-hmm. That's the part that's going to kill young anglers with with electronics is it almost removes the need for instinct. Mm -hmm. There's going to come a time. These these fish are all, I've seen it on Pickwick where they're already adjusting, um, and, and they're going to. I don't care what kind of technology comes out. If a bass gets caught, he learns something. He has to, or he's not going to survive. If he can't learn how to get somewhere and bite something that doesn't have a hook in it, You know, at least some of the time he won't survive. So they're going to adapt. And they're, those instincts, they, man, they come into play way more than, than, than some young anglers, I think, actually realize. So I'm so thankful that I, I learned how to catch fish offshore by looking at a map, triangulating it in my head. Okay. I run out of this creek and then I need to head over here. And when I hit this drop off, I need to follow it. And then, you know, I spent, I spent, hours and hours of no telling how many days throwing a crankbait or a Carolina rig down a river ledge and just fishing for a mile and then I'd get a Mm. bite and I kept a buoy on the front deck I'd sling a buoy out up on the river ledge and then make that same cast and and I you know that's how I found schools and by golly when you find one that way and you don't have a GPS you're gonna you're gonna remember how to get back to them. you're gonna line that tree up over there with that with that red buoy with the mouth of that pocket and that dock and you're going to mm. run right back to it the next day. So, uh, so that helped me a lot, but, uh, but I'm certainly an advocate of using electronics to my advantage.
1: Hell yeah. So I grew up fishing farm ponds. I had some folks locally where I grew up that, that fished some of the red mans and they would take me out on their, on their bass boat at Lake Robinson, which is a super small nuclear power plant. Excuse me, at Hartsville, yeah. North Carolina. And I would get to go with them, but all my fishing was mainly pond fishing. Now I I had John boats and stuff to get out on some of these bigger ponds. But when I fished with the the bass club here in North Carolina, I've got to fish with a couple guys that were really good anglers. And this was early 2000s, so this probably had been 2004 or five is when I fished in that club. And a couple of the guys I learned how to how to triangulate, and I learned about buoys. Yeah. And even in my kayak, I keep four buoys in my kayak and I'll have I have I'll have one or two buoys out every tournament. You know, I have buoys out. One of it is uh-huh. I don't have spot lock. I do have an anchor, but that thing's not always conducive to to fish. But I always have the, the buoys out and people are always like, you know, what, what is that? It's, it's a buoy. You don't know, what do you do with that? You know, it's like uh, it's yeah. hard, too hard to explain. Yeah. But yeah, the the art of the triangulation and the art of using buoys to fish. I guess you could say buoys have kind of been thrown to the wayside because of spot lock and the technology and being waypoint. able to to yeah. put your your waypoints on. But even for me, I, I still like to have that buoy. A lot of times, it's for me to set up on. Um, or if there's a school or there's a brush pile, I'll drop it on the back end and then I'll I'll fish it. And if I get a bite, I'll drop it where I got the bite from so I can make the that cast. But buoy fishing, mm-hmm. you're right. That is that is something that when you learn that it really does help with the instinctual side of fishing. That's all see that that's some juice there that most people won't ever think is juice, is being able to use your instincts. And that comes with time on yeah.
2: the water. Yeah, there's there's no replacement for it. Uh, watching watching YouTube videos, reading magazines, talking to your buddies, um, you know. There's just there's absolutely no replacement for it. There's certainly a way to to expedite the learning curve, a little, not a lot, but yeah. a little. Uh, but I and and some people are just better in tune with nature than others. You know. I think right out of the gate, you see some of these people that they never fished bass tournaments or never even really bass fished. And then they, uh, they just hop right into it and they're just naturally good at it. You know, some people are better than others at when it comes down to it, but there's, there's not a person out there that, that can be successful at it without having to learn it on their own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we see a lot of folks
1: in the kayak scene that come in and that I just started fishing last year. I just started kayak fishing this year and, and, you know, they're competitive in all their local tournaments and they, they don't, yeah. you know, they probably have some, they don't have preconceived notions of stuff. Uh, there's a lot into it, but you know, there's some luck into it, but there's also, I mean, again, it's it's what they've learned sticks with them and they don't have something to draw them away from that because they don't know better. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it happens. So on your fishing, you talked about offshore fishing. Is that, is that your strong, is that your strong point, offshore fishing? Is it is it a power fishing on offshore? Is it a little bit of everything, or do you mix it up with shallow? What where do you focus a lot of your time in? Now, we'll, we'll, let's that's kind of a loaded question. Let's preface this with the time of year stuff and all that. But in general, what do you like to do? I guess is what I'm asking.
2: You know, I I definitely like to fish deep water. Um, I just. It's it's something that, that I, I wasn't I wasn't good at until I started learning it, you know, in my early twenties on Pickwick. But I it really opened my eyes to I just feel like you're you can almost always put yourself around fish and, and deep water and and there's there's more potential there. You know, you catch a bass off a log in two foot of water, you might catch ten off of it. I've done it before. But you're much more likely to catch ten out of that deep school you found and then come back mm-hmm. two hours later and catch them again, you know? Um, but to say that, so I, I love fishing deep. And a lot of times I, I don't ever rule out the deep bite, you know, like mm-hmm. you said, there's, there's times of the year. And, and a lot of times our, our national events are kind of, they mm-hmm. almost follow the spawn. The The, the deep bite doesn't, you yeah. know, doesn't come into play as much, but I've actually probably pulled away from the deep fishing a little bit in the last few years because of the advancement in technology and, you know, Tennessee river. I'm a, I'm a TVA guy. Um, there's so much pressure on the offshore fish. I can, I can mm. still catch them and still have fun at it. And everybody else is, is enjoying it too. And I'm not knocking everybody cause I'm one of those guys out there pressuring them, but <laughs> I've learned, I've learned to, I guess, to try to take advantage of a shallower bite. Um, And really now, if I could just pick one thing, it would be to fish grass. Because Mm -hmm. with deep water, the way that electronics have advanced, it's not hard for somebody to Mm -hmm. be able to idle over some fish, find them and know they're there. Can they catch them? Maybe not. But if their boat's sitting on them, I can't pull up and catch them. You know, I'm not one That's of those guys right. that'll pull up and rub rub rails. So that takes away from my ability to go catch them. Well, when it yeah. comes to grass, it's just a little different. And there's a there's grass fishing is less dependent on electronics. It's more dependent. It's it's intimidating to some anglers. You know, you've got this sea of grass. Where in the world do you find bass? And I've I've had enough experience at it to where uh, I have the confidence to get in an, an area of grass, and and be able to to narrow it down and, and put my bait in front of a bass. So I, lately, because of the the tremendous pressure we get on offshore fish, I've I've gotten to where grass is probably my favorite thing.
1: Yeah, I reference another Buck Perry saying, and I'm going to get like 55 text messages and stuff about saying Buck Perry on this podcast. I don't care. The man was offshore fishing in the 40s before anybody else was so a grandfather offshore fishing. But he says the fish are shallow, deep, or somewhere in between, <laughs> and so and that's when yeah. you get that grass line. They're either going to be shallow, they're going to be out just outside of it, or somewhere in between. And that's a visual yeah. cue that we get. To. That's why a lot of people don't like offshore fishing either. Is you don't have those visual cues that we can on grass. So I'm here with Jordan, Sharon, Harris, and Falls Lake. These are the three lakes that I am I'm at here in North Carolina. There ain't no grass, it's all structure fishing. Um, yeah. you know, there's brush piles and roads and stuff. So I I'm not I'm not scared of the grass, but it's it's not it's one of these things growing up. The ponds I fish in have tons of coontail in them down in the South Carolina mm-hmm. where I was at. So I fish a lot of grass, but We just don't have that we don't have that opportunity to fish a lot of grass in this area it is it's all and even if you go west into high rock and norman and wiley and those those are all those are all you know structuring dock lakes um you know there's just not a lot of grass in these areas here so we don't get a chance to fish it as much when you're fishing shallow you know is it a is it finesse? Is it power using certain lures? Like, is it just, is it a revolving door of stuff? What are you focusing in when you get to these shallow grass areas?
2: You know, uh, I would consider myself versatile when it comes to the mix between power and finesse. I'm not, I'm not the hardcore, you know, got three flipping sticks on the deck and, 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 flushed my spinning reels down the toilet type guy. And I'm also <laughs> not the guy that's going to have spinning reels on the deck. Um, I'm, I mean, I, I'm a mix of the two. Um, You're going to find what's working. That's right. That's right. I'm, I'm an advocate of catching bass. And whatever it takes to catch them, that's what I'm going to try to put in my mm-hmm. hand. So I, I would, I would say that yeah. probably my biggest weak spot would be like punching a big weight. Um, I've done it plenty, you know, and I've, and I've had success doing it, but that's probably, that's, that's one of the things that is on my list of things to do to get better at is punching a big weight. But, um, I mean, I've, I'm not afraid to pull out a spinning rod and an eight pound line and, and grass. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm also not afraid to, to, you know, pull out a, a big stick and catch them out of it or, or anything in between. Um. So, and, and offshore, offshore is the same way. I, I'll catch fish on an eight inch swim bait and then pick up a, a you know, a eighth ounce Ned rig and, and throw in there and, and clean up the rest of the school with it. So that's, uh, that's something that I think is from the area that I'm from and, and being a TVA, you know, Tennessee Valley, um, Tennessee river angler. It, it, it forces you to be versatile. And I think that's helped me around the country.
1: And, and you hear a lot of folks say now about the, the pro-touring guys that you don't have the – everybody is versatile now. Like you, you don't have the folks that are just going to do one thing all day long, I'm going to lose or I'm going to win, but they can. They'll, they'll go check the shallow bite. They'll go check the deep bite everywhere in between. I mean, it's, it's, they're versatile in all different aspects of, of lures, presentations – you know, the art of finding fish in shallow and deep, I mean, that's, that's, I think that's the evolution of fishing that is interesting to me. You know, when I was growing up, it was, there wasn't a lot of people offshore fishing. It was spinner baits, it was jigs, and it was worms. And now, I mean, these, y'all, you can do it all if you have to, and you're probably going to try them all. And if you're catching fish on the Ned Rig, you're going to catch them on that. I mean, that's the, that's the thing about professional fishing that uh, that you've seen a, a very big growth in is how versatile all of y'all are in in going out there. Yeah, yeah and that's that's just out of necessity. That's right, because your your job is to catch fish, and you can't you can't win if you ain't catching them. Talk about right. your MLF title belt win. T- take us take us through take us through that tournament. Uh, you know. <laughs> from the beginning and then how you felt getting the belt and, and winning that tournament. What, what was that like from like, tell us your mind during this tournament at the end.
2: Yeah. So the last regular season event was at St. Lawrence river and I was 10th in points for AOI and the top 10 qualified for the Bass pro tour. So I, you know, high hopes, Well, I go into that last uh, regular season event, and I bomb it. I finish 112th. I fall fall out of the top 10 points. So that really burned. And I had already been considering uh, trying to get out of law enforcement and make fishing a full-time thing. And that was like a huge step in the wrong direction. So I was fired up, needless to say. And three weeks later, here I am back up north at the upper Mississippi on the lacrosse and i've got this drive under me like you know i'm ticked off at them so uh i i I show up that week and i'm just determined to to do my very best you know did i roll into town saying i'm gonna win this thing no you know i absolutely was my goal but um i was just just mad at bass and ready to catch them (laughs) and i worked worked really hard in practice like i've I've never been one to, to get on the water late or, or come off early. And I, I mean, I maximized every second of my two days of practice up there, uh, two really long days on the water and had, I didn't like just catch a ton of fish, but I I was confident in what I'd found in two days and, uh, starting the event, I started up in the black river kind of near takeoff and really didn't know, you know, just kind of you feeling things out on day one of the event, I catch like 11 11 something pounds and I think I was tied there was a three-way tie for ninth and of course the way that that format was set up uh, the you had to survive the first two days there was uh it was the the Bass Pro Tour format but we were weighing in our best five so you you had uh, days 1 and 2 of group A and B you had to finish uh, top 10 out of 25 in your group, and mm. you know, the rest of you go home. So, I'm tied for ninth, for three-way time, right on the bubble, making the cut. We'll go into day two. <clears throat> and I kind of the conditions changed. We were fogged in that morning, we didn't get fishing until after nine. And after the fog burned off, it was just high sun, no wind. I had been catching on a buzz bait in the mm-hmm. top water, and that bite died. I tried to force it for a couple hours, and finally had this epiphany, you know, let's, let's adjust. I make an adjustment, instinct. pull out a spin. Yes. Pulled out a spinning rod, uh, caught a good limit um, in a place where I was sitting there throwing a top water over and they wouldn't touch it. And mm. that really got my momentum going like, like, you know, fish the moment, man, you know, make, make decisions based off your instinct and that really built into that. So I make, I have, I catch like 13 pounds, which is a pretty good bag of, you know, up there for that time of year. It was, it was kind of tough fishing. Um, I think I finished like fifth, make the knockout round. So we're, we're moving in the right direction, go on to day three, knockout round. So there's now there are 18 anglers and you have to make the top eight because the guys that won group A and group B, mm-hmm. They had an automatic day to championship day, so they didn't fish in the knockout round. So you got to make top eight out of 18. <clears throat> I start on a place and somebody pulls. I, I stopped too far down from this little eelgrass point and another angler that was in the other group. I had no idea anybody had been fishing the same fish I was fishing, but we were just rotating them, you know, the, the days, mm-hmm. of the, the first four days of the event. Well, that other angler pulls up in front of me. And uh, goes to where I should have went, but I was going to fish my way up to it. So, like I, you know, about get spun out. I probably overreacted and and uh, had a discussion with him, you know, blah blah blah, <laughs> and end up end up leaving. And there was this place about twenty miles down the river that I had had. I caught one four pounder and then had two more frog blow ups. Like at the very end of day two of practice, well. I had ran down there at the end of day one of the event and had one bite and missed the fish. It was a big one, but I was like kind of disappointed and not getting many bites in there. I was really expecting a lot of that place. Knockout round. I I caught caught a little limit and I would just, there was more pressure up there in the black river. And I kind of started thinking like, look, I'm not going to win up here. I need to, I need to go find some fresh fish. So I go, I make that run at the end of knockout round, uh, that, that afternoon I make the run down the river and I end up finding that all these fish that were in this backwater slough that I found in practice, they had pulled out to this wing dam at the mouth of this backwater and they stacked up and I actually found them by, I hit, uh, anchor lock on anchor mode on my, on my trolling motor. And cause I was about to change frogs. I was going to change colors on my frog. Well, my trolling motor spins around and throws a prop wash up on this wing down and uh, it spooks a shad and mm. the bass after the shad and, and makes it surface. And I'm like, huh? So I, I end up, <laughs> I can't catch, I can't catch a fish off of it when I see that, but I, I, ease on into the backwater and kind of let that wing down, chill out and then come back and stay off of it and make a long cast. I end up catching a five and a four and like mm. almost back to back cast. Well, those are giants for up there, you know, and um, after that happened, I, I, and there was, I had other big ones coming up, fighting over my, my top water. And of course I caught those two. I just had to make the top eight. I said, I got all I need and I left. So, going into championship day, I knew that I had something special. Um, and I just found it, you know, it was as fresh as it could possibly be. So I run down there that morning when I pull up, there's a local that's just pulling up in his little John boat. And (laughs) I I find out later because he reaches out to me later, he had been catching those fish for like the last few days. So yeah. And he was, he pulled up there and was about to catch them again. Um, but when he saw me, he was so cool, man. He was like, yeah, he's awesome. like, he said, he, said he had no clue that any of the, you know, the pros in that event knew that those fish were there. So uh, anyhow, that, you know, thank goodness I got there before he like, you know, jacked a four pounder that would have <laughs> cost me 200 grand. But, uh, hey, I bet I, that I, morning, I bet. I bet that morning you told yourself,
1: I'm going straight to that spot. I'm not fishing to that spot. I'm not going pat. I'm going straight there.
2: Oh yeah, right there. <laughs> Yeah, I learned my lesson the day before. <laughs> so uh so I I I get there and and catch four on a top water, you know, four solid fish, two good smallmouth and and two three, three and a half pound largemouth. It was a really good start. And they then, up uh, together like that. They were just kind of stacked up on this on this wing dam. Wow. And I'd I'd fan cast it and catch one or catch two. Um that that afternoon that I found them, they were literally like. Three or four big ones at a time coming up fighting over mm. the top water. Um, but anyhow, I, I end up having to pull out a spinning rod and a Nico rig, uh, as the sun got up on championship day. And I, I just had an unbelievable day, man. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't just wreck them all at once, <clears throat> but every 30 or 45 minutes, I'd catch a big one and it would help. And, uh, I did that till about one thirty. Um, and I got up to almost 18 pounds and I knew that that was like a freak show, you know, for that time of year on the, on the upper Mississippi river. And the biggest bag we'd had before that was like 15 something. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I got to thinking about all the terrible things that could happen with that treacherous place of, you know, it's so hard to navigate mm-hmm. with sandbars and stuff. And I'm like, man, what if I get stuck on a sandbar my engine blows up and, so anyway, I, I'm like, I got enough to win. So I end up going and spending the last hour and a half right there at uh, at check-in. So I check in, and <clears throat> there's 10 of us on championship day. We pulled, you know, guys have pulled up on the bank, and they're getting their fish out of the bag. And I asked the tournament director, Daniel Fennell, I said, I said, please let me take my boat out of the water before I put these fish in a bag. I said, I I think I have $200,000 worth of bass in this live wheel, and I don't want one like slipping out of my hand. <laughs> I mean, I, it was like, I had, you know, uh,
0: like I, was,
2: I felt like I Did was expecting an offer or something <laughs> truck, did you, you know? don't du- you were double fisting every one of those fish coming oh, out yeah. the live well oh yeah so but he he let me he let me trailer and pull my boat up the hill and and put them in the bag so uh, i didn't have to worry about you know running, jumping out of live well or something um uh, so the i'm standing in line and and you know, a, a lot of the fans that have watched the live coverage, they're coming up and getting autographs from me, and, and everybody's kind of hinting at it that I've got it One, Of course, I don't know what how, how the mm-hmm. other anglers did. And then Bobby Lane goes up, like, two anglers in front of me and weighs in 16-12. Oh, and man. I knew I
1: had
2: I knew I knew had a big bag, but I didn't know exactly how much I had. I knew I had, I, I felt like I had over 17. But when he weighed in 16-12, you know, the wheels start turning like, man, what if what if one of those fish spit up a big shad? What mm. if my scale was wrong? You know, and so anyway, there was some suspense when I went and weighed them in. But uh, weighed them in, you know, weighed seventeen fifteen, and uh, had just a couple guys to weigh in after me, and I and I knew that they didn't have anything near that, you know, that that size of a bag. So, so uh, that was it. You know, get handed a trophy, and it was like. You know, you, you hear this. It's surreal. You know, it doesn't really sink in. But uh, it was I felt I almost like I mean, it, I don't want to get emotional talking about it, but I almost felt like my three or four year old self was really mm-hmm. proud of me, you know, like because it was a dream come true. It absolutely was. And um, at, you know, I just all in that moment, I'm thinking like, what in the heck? just happened. This is, you know, this is going to change things. Like, yeah, I'm going to go get back in a squad car when I, as soon as I get home, because it's my job, but I don't think I'm going to be looking at, you know, doing that for the next 20 years. Like this is open mm-hmm. some doors. This, this is an opportunity. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm i not going to say that it's even now that it's really set in, but uh, it, it did a lot for my, for, for my, my goal has been to, to establish longevity in the sport. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a cutthroat industry, um, sponsorship. That game is hard. Uh, there's, there's a lot of guys that that come and go that are good, but they just can't develop longevity. So I've, I've, you know, that was, that was what met, meant the most to me taking home the, the title because it's, it's something, even though now Major League Fishing has has had to make some changes to their format and, and the title championship, what used to be the Forest Wood Cup, now it it's it's no more. It won't they won't have a 2023 mm-hmm. title championship, but it's still no one will ever take away that, you know, for lack of a better word, that title of a championship win that I have. Um, it it just it it helps with that legitimacy. And I think it'll help me twenty years from now, um, you know, just as a as an accomplishment as a as an angler.
1: It's it's a win that put your your handprint into that fresh concrete that we did as kids and wrote our name beside it. You know, it's it's, yeah, it's there. That's exactly right. It ain't
2: going anywhere. Yeah, life changing yeah. win, right? That's right. That's exactly right. Yep. That uh, Man, the- you know, from there. There's there's no way I could have could have without taking a huge risk and risking you know my the security of of my my family and our and our finances. There's no way I could have mm-hmm. jumped out of the squad car and moved our family to Pickwick and and decided to fish for a living without having that security of that win.
1: Mm-hmm. Man, that's awesome. I mean, you you know, people work their whole careers to get that type of win and never do. And to to be able to achieve that goal had to have changed your mindset about what you can do in the future and and probably build up a lot of confidence.
2: Yes, it, it did that for sure because like looking at the names, you know, it's it it means a lot to me that that the Bass Pro Tour Anglers we able to integrate the pro circuit and fish it as well. And, and um, at, like you look at top 10 day and I, I'll probably forget some names, but Bobby Lane finished second, um uh, uh, skeet Reese, Justin Lucas, Zach mm-hmm. Burge, Adrian Avina, And then the, and then the big names from the pro circuit, you know, that, that weren't on the, mm-hmm. on the last pro tour that, the names of the anglers that I beat meant a lot to me because they're, some of them are, are hall of fame anglers and the best in the world. So that, mm-hmm. that was definitely a, you know, and I've, I've always been a, a humble person and, and anytime I feel like I'm getting away from that, I really try to reach and, and grasp the humility back because I don't, you know, mm-hmm. I just, that's just I try to try to live as a person. But, uh, it, you know, it it definitely gave me the confidence to say, Hey, I, I beat the, at least, at least that day I beat the best in the world. So I don't ever have to think again, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not cut out for this or I'm not good enough or I I don't expect to be at, be one of the biggest names in fishing one day. Mm-hmm. I think it's cool too. You got a belt. You got
1: something that yeah. many people don't have and nobody else, at least in the foreseeable future, will have a belt as a trophy and that's pretty neat. So here you fished yeah. you've been fishing the uh what 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 open is it the Midwest series in the opens? The Central. What series in the centrals. Yeah. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. So you finished seventh at, at uh the Red River, which was a really good finish. And then uh what was the first in the central?
2: Ross Barnett. Did you fish
1: – did you fish that one? I, I did. I finished fifth. Okay, and so y'all got Sam Rayburn coming up. Mm-hmm. That's you're yeah, gonna that's... Fin- you're gonna fish that one coming up. So, um, yes. That, do you feel confident going there? Because you've got yourself in a good position for the Central Opens.
2: Um, yeah, I you know I I love Sam Rayburn. I've been there twice. It's been January when I've been there, so I have no clue. <laughs> But I don't have any experience on it in, in right. October, but I mean, I'm excited for the opportunity that may present itself. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sitting here harping on, on what could be, but this is the last year that
1: mm-hmm.
2: you can fish one division of bass opens and qualify, you know, be eligible to get an invite for, to the elite series through the, uh, through top three in the AOI of, of one division. So, uh, if you know, if that's a something that's a a future path for me, then I, you know, I'm excited to just go and catch all the fish I can and then, and then uh, hopefully get that opportunity and then make a decision from there. If it doesn't happen, it's not going to define me. It's not going to be the end Mm -hmm. of my career. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll make do with, with uh, the best opportunity that I have at hand, uh, whether that be with bass or major league fishing. And and I'm going to work my hardest to, you know, continue to compete. Um, So, you know, at this point, I just trying to catch all the fish I can. And then when I, when, when the dust settles and I have a decision to make, then I'll sit down and see what's best for my family. And we'll go from there. Yeah. What, what does it look like in the next two years
1: for Jimmy Washington? Fishing professionally.
2: I'm going to do a lot of fishing. I'm going to (laughs) do. A little bit of guiding—that's uh, mm-hmm. one thing I don't—I don't, I don't want to do is I don't want to get to where I'm guiding 150, 200 days a year. Um, yeah. I, as much as I love to be on the water, it's—I just don't want to uh, ever give myself a chance to get the burnout from that. So um, that's—you know—there will be a lot of time on the water. Uh, I—I'm I, confident to say that. I will be somewhere other than the major league fishing and what is now the invitationals, uh, because you know those have been structured to uh, to be a step mm-hmm. down from the Bass Pro Tour, the qualification round for them. So, I'm I'm going to work hard, and it's it's my absolute goal to not be fishing the major league fishing invitationals in two years. Um, mm-hmm. Where I'll be from there, I don't know, but uh, you know that next week's event two weeks from now might determine that it might be next year it might be two years from now but um i you know my goal is to move up to the highest level of fishing on, on whichever side of the fence that is and uh it's i'm i'm gonna work dang hard to make sure i do that in the next two years do do you think
1: that the changes bass and mlf made with the opens and then the invitationals Do you think that is going to prepare the folks that make it into the highest levels from both of those organizations? Is that going to prepare those anglers better to succeed? Because I think that's maybe one reason why they did it. I'm sure there's a bunch of others, but you hear in in fishing where somebody makes the highest level and they have no idea if they're going to be able to get sponsors or, you know, all this, all this financials, all the financial stuff. Do you think those changes are going to prepare anglers better to enter
2: the the elites and enter the BPT and be successful? I think for the, uh, for the bass side, and by no means am I picking sides here, but mm-hmm. for, from BASS's standpoint, I 100% think that that was the, uh, the primary factor that drove that, that decision to make, to require you to fish all nine opens to, to qualify for the Elite Series because a guy can fish on his home lake and then, you know, have a couple of, of decent events elsewhere and then get thrown into the fire of a national tour and and just be a you know like a, a fish out of water. Um mm-hmm. on the MLS side. Pun intended. Pun intended. Yes. <laughs> right. That's right. On the MLF side, the invitationals are not preparing an angler to move up to the bat pro tour any better than the pro circuit did. Um, mm. If anything, it's it's preparing them less, I think. Mm. Um, there's there's less of a payout than what we had. And all these things are based off of a business decision that they had to make. Um, yeah. and, and by no means am I second guessing or, or or scolding or counseling that decision and that change, but um, the the changes to the invitationals were out of a necessity, in my opinion, from a business standpoint, rather than uh, driven to 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 enhance or um, you know improve anything with the qualification to the Bass Pro Tour. Well, you know, the
1: organizations have to make financial decisions because if they don't exist and yep. nobody gets nobody's going to be fishing them, but you know, I mean That's right. that's 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 part of the that's just, that's just part of the I don't even know the word. It's just part of it. You know, there's and yep. they're not always going to be what people like and what people want, but you know, I mean, that's what are you right. going to do? Right. You just have to find Where's you good? have to either do it, conform, leave or find find a different avenue. That's how you got to go
2: in there. Yeah, we're, it's human nature. We're always quick to complain about it, but you got to you know, step back and and consider that you know what's what's best for me and and, yep. and my current situation doesn't always fit for the for the greater good.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That's right. Well, look, man,
1: we getting we getting close to the end of all of this, and we have none none of this is is scripted. And it's just conversation driven. The I lost my train of thought. Golly, you thought this is my first time ever doing this. I had three it's things, not? and I, I forgot all of them. Well, yeah, it is. Every actually, it's so. This podcast is so good because every day I sign on and we start this podcast. I forgot what what happened the last eighty whatever episodes I've been on, uh,
2: yeah.
1: or whatever it is. It doesn't matter. <laughs> But the we get you a notepad. No, no, no notepad. Alex, Alex <laughs> will come up in here. I guarantee you he will get back and he hadn't recorded in like three months, and he's gonna be geared up and he's got all these ideas and all these questions, and he's gonna have his little notepad. I'm gonna give him so much shit. I'm gonna make him feel bad about it, and he's gonna be trying to hide it. I don't have no notepads. We ain't doing no notepads around here. Come on, no. man. This Wing look. It. this is the, of course, this, this is what I do. I wing it's your weekly distraction from high quality podcast content and we can't be not high quality if it's structured. Um, but, but we, we have some shotgun round questions that we ask. And the whole part about this is you just answer there. Some of them are loaded questions. Now we can dive into, into specifics, but I just, I want that. What comes to the top of your head and right. we we might get into. I might chastise you a little bit for your answers if I don't like them. But you country, I think you're going to answer them, most of them pretty right. Uh, I hope so. But we're going to get shotgun brown questions. I'm going to ask uh, you answer. I, you got it? Is that clear enough? Let's roll. All right. Crocs or flops? Flops. Oh man, see that is a bass boat guy. All day long, because you never had to get your feet wet in, in flip flops. When you got kayaks, you get Let's, your feet wet all the time. Uh oh, look at him his feet. Hell yeah, look! Can I'm, you see
2: the tan line? <laughs> yeah. I've got. I can't see it that good. Hold
1: on, got, do, the other, yeah, the, do light, the other way. The lighting. lighting is not yeah. good. But
2: I've got. I've got the most wicked tan line, flip flop tan line that you've ever seen in your life. So that was an easy answer for me because I love fishing and flip flops,
1: Jimmy. You only the second person ever to show their feet on this podcast behind me. I
2: ain't, I ain't
1: too proud. There you go. See, look, see all these all these people. They don't understand country enough. Look, our feet are a Like right. I got corns. I got corns so thick on my feet because I hate wearing <laughs> shoes. I leave up at this house sometimes to go to the store or go somewhere. And I get there, and I'm like, I don't have any shoes on. <laughs> it happens. But in the kayak world, you're getting your feet wet all the time. And if you get on your sandals, you know, you get on your flops, and you try to haul that heavy kayak up the ramp, your feet keep slipping out. Yeah. Plus, I take mine off. So, anyway, and anyway. I. I all right. First question, you have already disappointed me. Let's see what happens next. <laughs> Pineapple on pizza? Yes or no? Yes. <laughs> we are doing terrible.
2: <laughs> That's, I mean, it, pineapple on purpose, ham you, on pizza.
1: Oh god! But the, but when you get ham on But I, I agree. But I wouldn't order on purpose. If it's is free. I'ma eat it. But the ham that you get ain't oh, ever real
2: ham either. It's Canadian bacon. Well, see, I. I guess maybe I misinterpreted this this shotgun round and thinking like, (laughs) would you eat pineapple on pizza? And there there's nothing that I wouldn't eat. We got a special guest coming in. Uh oh, who we got? You gonna show yourself? Come on, say. What's up, buddy? What's your name? What's up? Jay. Jay. You coming to tell daddy? What's your name? Jay. Jay. Hey
1: Jay. Yep. What's up, big fat? Fi- How old are you? That's my-
2: Five? That's my cool. fishing buddy right there.
1: Uh, that's I got an hey, eight-year-old like- son. He he's on the back of the kite with me uh year round except the summertime.
2: Hey, do you like pineapple on pizza? <laughs> oh, okay. He wins. <laughs> <later>. <laughs> 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 all, right, let finish up, all right love you so uh you, so going back to that if if i'm ordering a pizza it's going to be a supreme i'm mm-hmm. definitely not going to order pineapple on pizza but you all leave right, some yes. laying out and it's probably going to disappear <laughs> oh yeah, yeah same boat same boat if it's
1: there i'm gonna eat it and i ain't gonna say nothing about it. i'm probably gonna eat the most but yep i'm not gonna order it on purpose.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm with you there.
1: All right, you gonna this? I don't. I've never asked this question to a tour in pro, so I don't know what's going to go on here. You gonna spend more yeah. on a rod or a reel? Reel. really?
2: Okay, yeah. I like that yeah. answer. Elaborate. Uh, well, uh, spinning reels in my opinion, Mm -hmm. a high grade spinning reel is ultra important with that, with that smooth drag, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, a, a a good rod, in my opinion, and it's kind of like a deer rifle, I'm going to spend more on the scope for, I kind of see it as the same way. You know, I think the, Mm -hmm. um, a rod is very important, but the rods, the hammer rods that I throw are, are, they're a pretty good price point and they're, ultra sensitive. So they do what I need. You know, there's just no point in me buying a $500 rod. Um, but the, but when it comes to reels, especially spinning reels, um, Mm -hmm. drag and, you know, just a, a top end spinning reel makes a difference. I I say real too, and I don't have a
1: reason before. I just, I just like the reels. (laughs) There's no really rhyme or reason. But when yeah. I heard, and I can't remember who I, what I was listening to a podcast and heard, so it might've been when you are on Pangers podcast. I heard somebody talk about the difference in spinning reels, a good spinning reel and the drag and the, the versus you reeling and it working with you. And so the yeah. next couple of spinning reels I got, they weren't, you know, they weren't $500, but I went from the, I went from the $30 cheap ones. What you got there, buddy? A shark?
2: Photo bomb. That's his catfish.
1: Uh-oh. Oh, you like catfish? All right.
2: <laughs> All right, buddy. Hey, let Daddy finish up, okay? All right. Thank you. Hey, go back downstairs. Go back downstairs. <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> God,
1: don't be sorry, man. I'm my, I'm surprised my kids had not been in here wanting to get on camera a couple times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but that, that drag, when I did step up into the $100 range spinner reels, you know, nothing – Nothing exciting, but golly! Right away, fighting those fish was a whole different, whole different ball game. I I lost tons less fish, but yeah, I didn't. I didn't realize I was just always a cheap spinner reel guy until Mm -hmm. I heard that. I was like, "Well, let me try this out," and sure enough, it was good. All right, in a three-hour session, three hours of fishing, five two-pounders or one seven-pounder
2: one seven pounder
1: Mm -hmm. all day long man give me that big fish yeah yeah i i mean i could catch five two pounders in a row or i could catch five on one a rig and i wouldn't get as excited or have the shakes or have my heart rate increase like i would if i brought up a seven pounder
2: yeah yeah that's for sure now i I love catching fish now i'm not one of these guys will go spend three days throwing a 18 inch swim bait for you know one bite. It's <laughs> fish, but uh, but but I love catching big ones too. Yeah, is that that excitement when that fish
1: comes up to the boat is just you know, it's just something that you can't experience unless you do. That's right, that's right. Takes your breath away. That's right. That heart rate gets up. You start shaking. You got that fish like this. And then the kayak world, I got to lay it on a board in the bottom of my kayak and hope it don't flop off into the water.
0: Yeah. Yep. Wacky
1: rig or Texas rig?
2: That one's so hard. Wacky rig, just, you know, trying to be spontaneous. Um, because you can catch them when it's like almost impossible to catch a fish on a wacky rig, um, of course, that belt behind me. You know, I caught I caught a lot of those fish that won that thing on a Nico rig, which is a wacky rig with a nail weight. Um A Texas rig is, has caught more fish than any bait ever mm-hmm. and ever will. But it's been fishing the longest too, so you know. That's right. That's right. But I I
1: don't like so I answer this question wacky rig, but I I'm an I'm Nico rigging it. I'm not just throwing a weightless. Well, not, I can, I'm not doing that. I'm Nico rigging it and I'm cheap. I go buy roofing nails from the Lowe's, yeah. the big old, and they got the big head in there. They don't come out as mm. often because they're ribbed. They don't come out as often. And that big head, I think that big head, if you're around rocks, is ticking the rocks, but mainly because yeah. I'm cheap. <laughs> because yeah. when 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 I'm skipping it a lot and I see the nail go over there and the worm go over there, you know, I just reel it in and I leave them out. I got, I got them piled out all over the house so they get rusty. So they don't come out as much, but yeah, I well, love the naked rig. That's that's typically what I'm trying to throw to. Mm-hmm. All right. Slow jams or hype music.
2: Slow jams. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it would be, it'd be classic country.
1: I got oh, not some outlaw country.
2: Yep, that's right.
1: I'm down with that. I I, I wouldn't consider that slow jam, so That that kind of gets me hyped. Though. No,
2: but it, but it's not it's not hype music either. You know, so uh,
1: <laughs> you ain't in there beating your head against the steering wheel, arrr, that's, screaming. That's right. There that's right. Go. But I do I do
2: kind of have. Uh, maybe a tradition or whatever you want to call it that if it's like game time and it's a tournament that really means a lot and it's a very important day of that tournament, then I will listen to Led Zeppelin and the immigrant song Mm. right before I pull into the ramp. And that that gets me ready to roll. There you go. So, so do you listen
1: to music on the water? Is it when you get on the water, you're, you don't want to hear that.
2: I can't tell you how many times I have found a school of fish, or a place, or picked up on an indicator by what I heard. You know, mm-hmm. like that one hear little pop. Fish, hear, yeah, hear a fish schooling. Um, just that there's so many. I hear birds diving. You know, so no way. No music. Music doesn't happen on the water. I can listen, listen to that stuff any any other time
1: when you have a marshal in the boat, do you if they're talking to you a lot and you don't want to listen to them, you might be quiet or how, do, how does that work? Because This kind of comes into on the water stuff like how do you want to talk to that marshal or you just want them to sit there and you like do their job and just high-five when you catch a big one?
2: I don't mind talking and cutting up. Um and thankfully I've I've never really had an issue to where it, you know there are times that i need i need to be able to focus and think my way through things and not um mm-hmm. not just totally talk the whole time but uh they they normally can kind of feel my vibe mm-hmm. on if i'm very responsive to to their questions and um so it's, it's never been an issue you know it's just like it's like a, if i have a co- angler in the boat uh you know mm-hmm. uh, like in the bass open the Toyota series, we have co-anglers. And, um, I mean, I'll, I'll converse with them and, uh, most of them normally get the vibe. If I'm, you know, really trying to be quiet and focused, then they just leave me alone for the most part.
1: <laughs> Lose a fish and out there mumbling to yourself, well, God, I'm just going to leave him alone for the next couple hours yeah. until he says something to me. Yeah. yeah. I think most people can pick up on that stuff, especially when you're, you know, 10 foot in a, in a boat from each other. That's right. All right. That's right. All right, this next question. Now, you being from Mississippi, I, I have high hopes for this question. I really do.
2: Uh, disclaimer: I'm from Tennessee, but i have I have very close ties to Mississippi with a family farm and and uh, have have spent a lot of time in Mississippi. So,
1: hey, y'all got this animal in Tennessee, so it it is fine. I still have high hopes for the answer. Have you uh, ever eaten beaver?
2: No, I have not. Uh I missed a really good chance because my neighbor uh from the house that we moved from to this one. Uh he was he was all about eating beaver. And matter of fact, we had this place that we duck hunted and I had to get on to him because he was about to catch he was about to trap all the beavers out of the place. And the beavers were the reason messed up, that the up your fishing hole. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, my duck hunt. hole, oh, yeah, so what? Uh, mm-hmm. So
2: yeah, he went crazy on the beaver, but I never got to try any from him. And now his wife told me when he wasn't around once, she was like, it tastes like you're eating a stick. Don't try it. <laughs> <laughs> I've
1: had it out of a crock pot and, and it was it was fine. It was like a, a little bit tougher pot roast. The best way that I had yeah. it, it was was smoked like you would a pig except okay, it was just a but, beaver on the grill, so it's low, that, slow. it can't go wrong with that. No, no. It, it's a little gamey. It's really, really dark. It's just it's just different, man. But people, if you told them it was pot roast, they'd probably eat it and be like, man, that pot roast was a little tough, but it tastes good. What would it be like? Yeah.
2: I have high hopes I, for this I'm, next question. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm not opposed to – if I ever get the opportunity, I will certainly – fry beaver because i our family pretty much lives off of a wild game yeah. and uh yeah and I, I'd be all about it high hopes for this next question I have no idea
1: how you're going to answer it but I'm curious do you eat largemouth bass
2: yes Um not too proud to eat a largemouth bass I think they're delicious um Thank now you. when I was a kid when I was a kid just that old school Sportsman mentality that my dad had, you know, growing up in harder times, uh, man, we kept some big ones and that breaks <laughs> my heart. Like, yep, I look back here. when, I was, here, when I was six or seven years old, and like, we'd, you know, just bring home a cooler full of like five to seven pounders, and I've, I've I have, that fillet looks I like a changed. tackle box, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Uh, I, I have totally changed my thought process on that. But uh, I think a lot of bass fishermen, and if I hurt somebody's feelings, I don't care. A lot of bass Me, fishermen have, have, have gone too far beyond the spectrum of conservation, thinking that they're helping mm-hmm. the fisheries and that you can't keep fish. And I have seen it firsthand. Uh, like there was a state lake that was near uh, where I lived just north of Memphis. And it was an awesome lake. It's where I learned how to fish deep grass and had hydrilla in it, a mill yeah. full in it. And it was full of four to six pounders. Well, it got overpopulated because nobody would keep a bass out of it. And now yes. if you catch an eight inch or out of there, you've done something. It's I mean, it's it's just there's no hope for it. You know, they need to just pull the plug and, and redo it. Um Yep. So that with that being said, I've I've got a five acre pond on my family farm. Um mm. I try to manage it and try to keep it as healthy of a fishery as as it can be. And I'll take several coolers full of bass out of it every every year. And uh man, I you you put you if you keep bass cold, you clean it right, you soak it in a little salt water, and then before you fry it, you soak it in a milk, egg, and mustard mixture and then drop it in cornmeal, put it in and grease that's the right temperature and fry it golden brown that's man that's hard to beat well i tell people
1: all the time you can bring me a crappy fillet a catfish fillet and a and a bass fillet we'll fry them all up and blindfold you and you eat them and the majority of people i would say 99 percent of people wouldn't be able to tell the
2: difference in them in, in any of them yeah.
1: i mean it's just
2: what i I, I think I would probably tell the difference. Uh, some of my my buddies, they, it's kind of a running joke that like no fish gets by me without getting eaten. Uh, I mean, I've <laughs> I've, I've, actually, I've I've kept fish during tournaments, like national tournaments. You know, like put a lot, put a walleye in the live well <laughs> mm-hmm. and took him home and ate him, You know, after the after the event, flathead catfish they don't uh, they don't go back. Crappie has a tough time going back. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, I could you could blindfold me and I could tell you what every kind of fish is. But uh, yeah. you're you're talking. To, I consider myself an expert when it comes to um, the art of eating fish. <laughs> a fish connoisseur, as we must say. That's
1: right. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. There's 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 a few people that that could. I would tell you I probably would have a hard time between a, a bass and a crappy filet. I'd probably mix those up. Now, catfish, I, I definitely wouldn't. But for the most yeah. part, for all these people that fit, say bass tastes like mud and they taste like blah, 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 I'm yeah, like, babe. you are full of it. It's It ain't. It ain't. Hey, next yeah, time that's... you catch some bass, take your onion and cut it up and then put it in the food processor and process it until it is – A liquid and then soak your bass in that uh uh, onion is one of the greatest meat tenderizers out there so i cook here's a good example this past weekend i cooked a beef heart i smoked it and any gamey or any tough cut of meat that i'm gonna smoke or if like i'm making tacos or fajitas and i got a flank steak i soak it and I take it, and you can strain out the liquid and just have the liquid, but I just I put everything in there because I, I ain't wasting all that time or cheesecloth. Put it in there overnight. It it will change everything. I cooked this heart, and I did it and smoked it the way I would smoke typical beef meat. And I had skepti- skeptical people, and they're like, oh, I'll try it. They ate it. They sat there and ate that the whole time. Really? It takes so with a heart is very irony taste and it can be yeah. very tough. But this was the best roast beef. I I, I would tell you it's the best roast beef you've ever eaten. But I I'll smoked it usually usually when I've eaten heart before we slice it up and pan fry it. This is much yeah, better. Way way more tender. Hard. Yeah, yeah. Way more tender. But try your deer heart like that next time. I don't know about smoking. It probably wouldn't take that long to smoke it, but at least tenderize it and it'll take out like that irony taste of that heart and soften it, soften that, soften that meat up a little bit. All right. Alex Rudd, is he overrated or underrated? Uh, Underrated. All right. Okay. We, I preface, well, I don't preface it because I already asked the question, but we asked this question because we've had Alex on the podcast a few times. And one time we had yeah. him on here. He's like, because he does overrated Andre. He's like, you know, one day I'd like to hear somebody. I'd like to hear people ask that. So we started asking. We've got a couple overrated. We've actually got some people on yeah. here. So I didn't know who Alex Rudd was till we came on y'all's podcast, and that that hit my heart. I was, I was yeah. like, <laughs> 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 we actually gave Alex Rudd some listeners. Yeah, that hit my heart. Yeah. That made me feel good about this debaucherous podcast that we do. All right, this is the last one, Jimmy. Now, this is made and and broke careers. This is what we're known for. And I don't ask this question as good as Alex because I don't have the smoker's raspy voice that he does. But I'm going to ask it the best of my ability. And I need you to answer it as truthfully as you can. All right? What are your top three sandwich proteins?
2: Uh, turkey and fish, believe it or not. And okay, we'll get, we'll come back to that one, and then uh, some fried deer tenderloin.
1: Oh, my those man, are the top three, are you- those are the top three sandwiches that you could ever have. I don't know if we've gotten fish before, I can't remember all the podcasts. I'm not sure if we've gotten fish, and I'm we might have gotten deer tenderloin. Do you fry your deer tenderloin That's, with a batter, or do you just pan fry it in some butter and oil,
2: flour? Yep, nice milk and egg. I, I don't do the mustard when I when I fry deer meat. But milk mm-hmm. and egg batter based, and mm-hmm. then drop it in flour, and then fried in you know just thin layer of, of oil and a got to mm-hmm. be a cast iron skillet, and uh, yep. make sure you keep it meat. Get that flour crispy but don't overcook the deer meat. Man, you put that Mm -hmm. on a sandwich with either mustard or A1. Best sandwich Mm. you'll ever have. See that's that's the, the, the
1: go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well I was gonna say I was gonna say pan frying in a cast iron skillet with just a just enough oil that it covers like half. So you have to flip it and it cooks up. That's grandma's southern cooking frying right there. That's how grandma's fried chicken and everything else they fried. There wasn't no right. deep fried. It was right. half and half, and you flipped it. And the closest thing I've ever got to grandma's pan-fried chicken was when Hardy's, and a lot of people might not remember this, Hardy's used to have some of the best fried chicken out there. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, man, back that. in the day. Early 2000s is when they started with those big old thick Angus burgers. And they yeah. got away from the fried chicken. You could find some Hardee's here and there. It's still fried chicken, but they got away from fried chicken, man. It was the closest thing I ever found the, to the cast iron fried chicken was the Hardee's. Hmm. Back to your fish. You said you had, wanted to go back to the, the fish sandwich.
2: So uh, on the turkey, um, mm. that's wild turkey breast Sli- mm, you know, oh, sliced. Yeah. Got to so the way that I cook them, I cook them in the smoker, and I inject okay. them normally, normally with Creole butter injection, and then smoke them. You know, two. Uh, I think I'll cook them on a little shy of two hundred and fifty, like two hundred and forty for two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's pretty slow cooked, and and then slice that pretty thin. Once again, mustard, uh, and a and a sliced tomato. And that's there we go. That right there is that's about you know that's gonna be about the best sandwich you can get. And then on the fish, it's uh it's blackened fish. Mm. Blackened fish. So I, I I eat a lot of blackened fish. Bass is really good blackened, those, you know, those little what I call good eater fillets, those pond management mm-hmm. bass. Um, well, 14 answers. Bass, that's right. A bass has a a stronger te- texture than like a crappie. And they don't mm-hmm. want to just totally crumble in the pan is bad, so like i I'll, I'll cook them for dinner and eat them, you know blackened with with sides on as the main course, and I always cook enough for leftovers and that that leftover fish you put it cold on on a couple pieces of bread man that's that right there is it's way better than your peanut butter jelly sandwich you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> and no, you ain't that got that. peanut butter. You ain't got
1: peanut butter and jelly all stuck in your beard for the rest of the day smelling right. it. Yeah, that's right. Hey, do you do you You're marinate or brine? <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know some people tell you crazy as hell for eating fish on a boat while you fishing too
2: though. Yeah, yeah. Now I I'm not big on doing that like like during tournaments.
1: That's
2: uh, okay. uh, I, I'm I'm not like super. You know, uh, uh, I, I'm not one of these guys that's that's superstitious, but it's I don't know. I, I just I'm, I'd rather not go that route to even <laughs> test
1: it. You know, you don't want to a tip fate on that side. On your turkey, do you marinate it or brine
2: it? Um, so I will I will soak the breast in salt water in a brine, um, mm-hmm. and then I inject it with the Creole mm-hmm. butter. Mm-hmm. Mm. So that's that's the route I take there and that pretty much all my wild game for the most part I'll soak it in salt water for yeah. depending on depending on what it is you know like duck breast especially you know because they're mm-hmm. you're shooting shooting mallards you know in the front area a lot of times as they're backpedaling over decoys and uh so that salt water just pulls the game and the blood out of
0: mm-hmm. out
2: of uh so Ducks, I'll soak them and duck breast, you know, in salt water for two or three days. Fish for a day. Uh, mm. Turkey, you know, even like uh, I'm I'm in the process of processing a, a doe that I shot last week with my bow. Um, mm-hmm. And I soaked those back straps in salt water for a half a day before I, uh, you know, okay. butterfly them out the lays and, and processed them. So, salt water a big deal for me on, on uh, preparing wild game to get ready to cook. Yeah.
1: We'll talk, we'll talk, uh, after we get done about, about some of that cause I'm, I, I smoke and cook a lot. So we'll talk, um, this podcast was started by Alex based off of content creation. The majority of people yep. we have on here are, are creating content. It can be TikTok, It can be YouTube, Instagram. Um, you know, those are three that we pull from and you do a really good job, with, with your life, fishing, hunting, family on your Instagram channel. And so you do have some really good content that you put out there. And one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on was through that. What has that, do you like that aspect of, of your job as a professional anger? Do you like that aspect of the social media content? Are you doing that
2: because you need to? So I like sharing my passions and the outdoors, but I cannot stand having a cell phone in my hand. I wish I could live life without Um, it's, I just feel like, so I guess that's kind of a a two-sided answer there, but um, I enjoy sharing my passions and my lifestyle with others. I enjoy interacting with, with people on, on social media, but the, when it comes down to, and the reason for this is my, my, my past job as a deputy, um, mm. but I just, I hate, I hate sitting around feeling like I need to be devoting time to my family and I've got a cell phone stuck in my hand. I feel like it almost, like I'm almost a slave to it sometimes, you know? Oh, yeah. um, and that goes back to for, for a lot of years, I was a patrol supervisor and I had, you know, a, a considerable amount of responsibility and I had, I had my personal phone and I had a work phone. Well, hmm. half of my bosses didn't know which number to call. So I had to keep the personal phone <laughs> where I could answer it for them. And then the work phone too. And I would I would go through, we, we there was so much dissemination of information through text message and email that I spent my entire life, it felt like, with my head stuck in two cell phones. So now that I've removed myself from that, like, I I seriously wish I could live life without a cell phone. It's mm-hmm. not possible, uh, you know, to manage a, a fishing business, a professional career. But uh, if, if there was a way that I could do social media without having to delegate so much time to a cell phone, I would be even more active on it because mm-hmm. I do enjoy it. But, uh, yeah. It's just when it comes down to sitting there with my head in the phone when I need to be devoting that attention to my wife and my two kids. That's, that's the part that bothers me.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, you do a really good job with it. Your YouTube channel is good and your Instagram channel is good. And you have know, people go follow them. Where can, when
2: you, where can the folks listen and follow you on your social medias? It, it's pretty easy. It's Jimmy Washington fishing, uh, Facebook, Instagram and YouTube. And then my, my guide page on Facebook is Pickwick premier bass guide um that's uh you know that that one I'm I'm definitely not as interactive with because of uh, simply because I didn't want to devote a tremendous mm-hmm. amount of effort to another platform but uh I really enjoy the YouTube videos I I like I mean it, I I knew nothing about editing videos 2 years ago when I started I bought this computer that I'm that I'm on here and and got an editing software and just taught myself but man i love i love creating videos on youtube mm-hmm. I, i'm gonna kind of get more interactive on the um on the educational side you know how tos mm-hmm. tips tactics stuff like mm-hmm. that uh, that's, that's something that i plan on doing so we'll see if i can hold myself to it um but so i really enjoy that and then the the facebook and the the instagram channels you know i really enjoy interacting with fans and uh, i'm not gonna say fans, but you know people that that uh that follow me and interact with my content and um you know i i've I've met some friends through that just through conversation and uh you know i'd I'd answer questions on a lot of stuff and I've had feedback where people caught more fish from me just taking a a quick moment of my time to you know to help them improve themselves on something so um well know, and that's, that's how we I got
1: enjoy. yeah and that's how we got connected through instagram and from before the podcast I ever came and you know interacted with you after I found you you were on BTL <clears throat> oh, excuse me I about to choke myself but yo know, you, you DMs, interacting through your posts and stuff and you you really are good with your fans on Instagram because that's where I mainly follow and interact with you with and all that so you do a good job on that. All right, man, uh, any, anybody you want to thank, sponsors, family, friends, everybody in your sphere that, that has helped you make this a career and do something that you love, go ahead and thank them here.
2: Uh, Mom and dad, you know, raising me in the outdoors and um, just introducing me to, to fishing. And then my wife has been so supportive. It takes a special, special lady Mm -hmm. to uh to because professional fishing you have to devote so much to it it's not something you can halfway do and make it and uh for her to be supportive of that and and not feel like she was you know uh second or or being you know missing out on on opportunity in life because i was devoting so much to fishing she she's hung in there and it's you know it's 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 been it's made the circumstance for our entire family better, but that's all because of her and her support. Um, and then my, my biggest partners that really help keep me rolling are profound outdoors, Tim, Tim Horton, and that's his company. They just man him and, and his wife, Kim. And uh, you know, the rest of the crew at profound are just good people. They care about making a quality product, but doing things right. Um, I've been with them enough to, you know, it's, it's just different. It's 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 more of a family type deal than your corporate lure company. Um, that means a lot to me. And then Rockfish Gloves, uh, they're a fishing glove that that found me after I won a toy, the Toyota Series last year because I was it was like 19 degrees and I I had um, gotten some samples of their gloves from from a guy that I knew and had them in my truck and I was like pulling out every glove that I could possibly find and just like layering them up so I could feel my hands in that (laughs) tournament (laughs) after that. And, and man, now I, uh, I cannot fish without a rockfish glove on. I feel like a wide receiver with, with, with receivers gloves on, you know, the way that reel sticks in my hand wearing those gloves. So, um, but they, they've been a big supporter and a big partner. So big thanks to them. And then Midway Marine in Fulton, Mississippi, wearing their shirt here. Um, best dealer I've ever dealt with, you know, uh, some, some boat dealers just probably have a little more than they can handle on their plate. Midway Marine, they just, it's, it's back to that family type atmosphere one-on-one, uh, It's just an awesome place to do business with, uh, you know, to buy a boat from. So big thanks to them. And, and I've got a lot more partners that mean a lot to me and, uh, I'm sure not going to sit here for an hour and, and thank them all that, you know, that they, uh, they do a lot for me, and I thank them, and they know who they are. But those those three right there really really keep the, the ball rolling, keep the boat floating. Nice. Well, Jenny, man, I thank you
1: so much for coming on. This is awesome. I, I could I could talk just you know, the, the professional side of it, just so intriguing to me and what y'all do and the mindset and all these other things that I could go on for hours upon hours. I thank you for coming on. This is awesome. I really enjoyed it. Um, any parting words for the listeners before we head this out
2: uh fish every chance you get and try to learn something every time you go and if if you really are committed to wanting to try to um you know whatever your your goals or aspirations are in fishing if making it as a professional um, is something that you that you really really want to do you need to Kind of have a, a gut check and make sure that's something you want to do, but man, go head first in it and don't let anybody tell you you can't do it. Um, you know, stick your stick your neck out, give it all you can you can possibly give, and then reach deeper and give more, and uh, and don't take no for an answer. And it it can be done. I had a lot of people tell me that it couldn't, but uh, you know, here we are. It's living proof you can you can make a living catching bass hell
1: yeah there we go thanks y'all for listening to bass and Brews podcast next week we got our guests lined up hopefully everything goes good that podcast will drop alex will be back soon i'm hoping he's back for the 25th if not it'll be shortly the week after that thank y'all for listening we'll see you on the next one jimmy hold on for your sign off